Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks that you have given us the joy of music, the joy of children, and the joy of yourself. May we hear you speak a fresh and living word to us through this, your written word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our New Testament reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One summer during college, I served as a youth intern at my home church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I became a mentor to one of the youth, Mike. He himself was, again, a student then and is actually now an associate pastor at that very church today. But at that time, he, Mike, was about halfway through high school. I was, again, uh, one of his mentors, and both of us were part of this youth group that was led by a full-time staff member, Brian Shockey. And I know some of you have heard at least part of this story, so bear with me. But but somewhere along the line that summer, Mike and I came up with this this, uh, ministry idea called Midnight Mowing Ministry. And the concept was fairly straightforward. One night, we would show up with two lawnmowers to Brian's house. And we would mow his lawn, which was located in a little bit more of a rural area in greater Cincinnati, so it didn't have nearby houses to worry about. And so one midnight middle of July, we show up with two mowers, pull them out of the truck, we rev them up, we begin mowing at midnight. Brian comes out a couple minutes later, um, and, and truth be told, this, this was born out of a, a genuine de- desire to serve Brian. We saw how busy and overwhelmed some of the stuff he had could be. Uh, we also thought it would be sort of funny to get a reaction and, and, and see what happens. And indeed, he wakes up, he comes out about two minutes into our mowing, we stop our mowers and we proclaim, Brian! We're the Midnight Mowing Ministry. How do you react in this moment? 
oh man, I love this. Okay, he thinks this is too fun. He settles in the porch and he watches us mow his lawn with headlamps on. Uh, but then he goes out of his way, gets some waters together, and, uh, and we take a seat on his porch, maybe around 1230 or so. And, and, and the three of us at that time, we all uh, knew a little bit of guitar, and, and so it doesn't take long, actually, for our, our water and our conversation uh, to turn to like 1 a.m. music. We start strumming along. And actually, there's a Bible open, and, and, I, and so I, I pull it over to me, to the book of Philippians, what we're looking at today. And I turn to chapter 4, and I start to just make sort of ad hoc lyrics out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the night goes on for another hour of this sort of singing, praying, praising, laughter, a decently mowed lawn. It it wasn't great in the morning, but decently mowed lawn. And for me, it was one of those very simple but sublime nights where the Christian faith was so real for me. I mean, even the impulse to serve was genuine, even as we hope to kind of get a laugh out of it. The gracious reaction of Brian was stunning. The way our friendship really had grown already so richly that summer that, that we might gather together and at 1 a.m. conversation and laughter might weave itself right in, into song and, and, and prayer and, and praise. Have you ever known one of those nights or one of those days or one of those seasons or a few of those seasons? You've, you've probably known a number actually, but when, when the Christian faith did not just seem reasonable or, or or even cognitively true, but, but also genuinely real and experienced in all parts. There was a real encouragement given and received. You actually knew a, the genuineness of comfort and love being given and received. Compassion and sympathy. That was real. Paul begins chapter 2 of Philippians with this. If then... There has been any encouragement in Christ among you, any consolation of love among you, any sharing of the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. And actually, as we see in other parts of this letter, Paul sees his joy in the, in the church at Philippi, Philippi's joy as inseparable. What makes for the joy of Paul and the joy of the church, it's one and the same. So knit together are their realities and their hearts. And so in a sense, the passage is saying, if you have at all in any measure known the Christian faith, this Jesus-following way to be real in your life, then here's the next best thing to do. Here's the next step, and really not just the next Step, But really, the place where the height and depth and fullness of joy, your joy, my joy, is made complete. If you've known any of this to be real, if you can tell a story, move into the fullness of the joy with this. And we kind of lean in. Because who doesn't want to discover wherever you can find the the riches of soul-nourishing joy? And we know our society readily provides narrative of what makes for the good life or the happy life. Or some might even use the word joy for some of the... The good life is, is when you're finally able to live where you want to live and do what you want to do and, and, and choose what you want to do and sort of on the hours that you want to do that. The good life is 
traveling as much and as often and wherever as you can. I mean, the good life is winning or being better or getting ahead or earning the top spot or the notable degree or the significant award. I mean, the many of the narratives our society has about what makes for the good and the happy life boil down to something around personal accomplishment and personal autonomy. Doing great things or being free to choose as you wish or maybe both. And as soon as we lean into Paul's take on what is not just the good life, but the deeply joyful life, we see that in many ways his words move in the opposite direction of some of that focus on personal accomplishment, personal autonomy. If the Christian faith has it all been genuine and you've got a story, make my joy, your joy, complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, Being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The good life, the abundantly joyful life, it is known in community, specifically the gift of unity to be realized in the church. It is where people of different generations, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic status, different language, different theological or political persuasions, who've all known Jesus to be real in their lives. And they show forth such humility, and they regard one another as better than themselves, that they learn the gift of sharing in one mind, one spirit. Have you ever been part of the joy of that kind of team, that kind of of church, have you glimpsed it? The joy of marriage at its best is meant to be a microcosm, right, of that. And the church in our covenant with one another is meant to know the full gift of this kind of unity, the depth of joy. It's no wonder Paul lands there when he, when he wants to point out like where you find the richest sense of joy and belonging and love. Because think of the scriptures Paul knew. He had Psalm um, 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious, costly oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, the priest, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Beautiful imagery, the gift of unity. But the challenge of living into Paul's vision for for the church came home to me the other day while I was uh, walking Leo in uh, our stroller here in the fan neighborhood, walking to the CDC, and we arrive at a four-way stop, stop signs, each one, right? And I cautiously step into the road, and I see there's a car coming, maybe still 40, 50 yards away, but but they don't appear to be slowing, and so I don't continue to push Leo forward, I kind of edge back to the sidewalk and we wait and the the person in this car obviously does not seem to see us or or really anyone because all they do is they, they ever so slightly pause at that stop sign and just as they're passing us she notices we're here there's Leo and goes like this but of course the car is moving and I mean there's no reason to pound the brakes at this and so they sail on forward as much as this has at times frustrated me when walking around the fan with Leo and, and, and the stroller, 
I confess the other day I was driving through the fan with him in the back seat of our car and I approached a four-way stop. And I did. I glanced both ways, paused-ish at the stop sign and rolled through. And from the back seat, I hear this little voice, be careful, Dad. (laughs) Apparently, they've been teaching the kids about stop signs at the CDC. And he rightly observed, I'm the problem I have with other people. It's no secret that many drivers in the fan, they treat the stop signs more as something between a sort of a yellow and green light option, a slow down, maybe a little, keep moving. And our driving, I think, in many ways speaks to the fact that at the end of the day, our priority often is our direction, our deadline, our timelines, keeping our momentum, our plans, a glance here or there, sure, but it really is the most natural thing in the world to just be focused on what we're doing, where we're going, and keep that Moving, And we can readily point fingers at people who, you know, they always drive too fast and they don't care about anybody else. But, but sometimes it would be wise to make sure that that person isn't also us. Paul assumes all of us are tempted to roll along with our way, our way most of the time. And so he's kind of pressing the brakes for us. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of of others. It's not like the direction we're headed is unimportant or invalid, not in the least. It's just that Paul's call and the joy is found not in racing forward as fast and as far on whatever roads we've chosen with but some glances here or there to the side, but most fundamentally it's found in, in breaking long enough to truly see and serve those at the intersection. Children understand the importance of the stop sign. What would it look like, what would a church look like where people of different generations, different theological persuasions, different political suasions, different ethnicities, different hopes even about some of the the shape of the future of the church, what would it look like, especially in our ever polarized society, what would it look like for for all of those intersecting realities to be coming together and, 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 and to say before one another, before driving any further, along my assumptions and my priorities. What do things look like from your direction? How's the road look like to you? Because I could see you're coming at the same reality, but, but from a very different vantage point. Where are you looking to go? How might, how might I be able to serve you? When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a war horse, part of what he's making clear is that with, he is gathering a people together in his kingdom that are brought together not by way of military force or military pride, but fundamentally by way of humility. How very pleasant and good it is when kindred live together in unity and humility is the catalyst, the road unto such reality. Now, perhaps to our chagrin, Paul does not continue in this passage and, and give us sort of a next steps manual for how to live into the gift. Though I will say, if any of you have participated in some of our House United Courageous Conversations we've had after worship a couple times, the next one's Sunday, May 5th, then then you've experienced at least a glimpse of one way this church is taking seriously the stop sign and trying to hear and discern at the intersection and discover the gift of such joy. 
But in the moment, Paul here gives no practical advice for how one shows forth this kind of humble love in, in our relationships, our marriages, our church. Instead, he does something far more fundamental and in, in many ways the most essential thing. He simply reminds the church about who our God is. Who it is we worship. Who it is that lives in us. As many commentators note, what Paul shares in this next section appears to be a a Christ hymn that was sung in the early church. And so Paul does his reminding to the church by way of a song. Perhaps because a song has a way of, of sticking to you. And then even playing through the soul. In the hymn you heard, it goes this way. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born into human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the song whose power and love plays in and through the church by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the song given us in baptism. And so if, if the church, if Paul calls the church to sort of this profound humility, this profound uh, call to unity amidst all of our possible ways of dividing, it's only because he knows the church actually has the wherewithal. Because the church has the spirit of this Jesus who did not cling to his way, his direction, but in fact let go, emptied himself, humbled himself, and so found himself raised. And if the church ever doubts that, ever forgets that's who we are, that's what we have, needs proof that that could actually be, could actually work, right? They only need to go back to the beginning of his exhortation. If ever you've known any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if if any of this Christian faith following Jesus thing has been genuinely experienced as good and real, then already you have a story or stories within yourself that proclaim there is a power greater than yourself that lives and moves and breathes in and through us. And so a surprising love can, yes, absolutely be shown. We're at this, we are in our day at the intersection of ages and theology, temperament, ethnicity, backgrounds and biases. And insofar as those intersections are known in the church, that is not an accident. God has brought us together in this time and this place that we might learn not to roll through the stop signs with our sure and certain desires and aims, but instead take good note of those at all of the angles. I mean, the reason Midnight Mowing Ministry is is sort of simple and basic, uh, uh, an endeavor or a night that was, the reason it went so well was quite frankly because Brian came out of that house and he did not insist on his own way, his own plan for the night. Maybe he could have, maybe he should have. Certainly sometimes saying yes to more of our sleep is a way of saying yes to serving others. But but really, in this moment, he put the brakes on all of 
his way. He met us where we are in this mix of wanting to serve him and wanting to get a good laugh. And he, and he sat with us. He even served us water. And then the, the humble song of, of Christ within. The night ended with the humble song of Christ within giving birth to a new song. Precisely because there was first an emptying, a humility. May it continue to be the story of the church this day. Amen.